Happy Sunday and thank you for joining me today. In November of 2020, Americans went to the polls for a plethora of elections from local to state, congressional, and also presidential. Republican Donald Trump was the incumbent president and Joe Biden was the Democratic opponent. Ultimately, Biden won that election, but Trump publicly disagreed with that and like Al Gore did in the aftermath of the 2000 presidential election, legally pursued litigation and also demanding recounts. But those were also fruitless, only reaffirming Biden's victory. This desire to hang on to power by the former president became known as the big lie, that somehow the election was stolen and Biden and the Democrats rigged it, that I'm the real winner here. It was knowingly false, but deliberately and consistently repeated. Trump supporters became adamant about this and essentially wanting to keep the president in power. They even went as far as to threaten election officials. Just a warning here, if you have any kids around, this message is explicit and also menacing. All right, three, two, one. Time's running out, Richard. We're coming after you and every mother that stole this election with our Second Amendment. Subpoenas be damned. You're going to be served lead, you fucking, fucking enemy communist sucker. You will be served lead. Quote, you will be served lead, end quote. Once again, a harrowing voice message left behind for a state election official in November of 2020 as the big lie of a stolen election was still ramping up at the time. And when you rile up your supporters to that level, influencing them just enough, tipping them over the edge that they send a message like that, what else do you think they'll do for you? On December 19th of 2020, the president encouraged his supporters to get down to D.C. for the 6th. It's going to be wild, he says. January 6th shows up and hundreds of thousands of Trump supporters amass in D.C. watching the president of the United States as he's making this speech. Not only him, but the speakers of that event continuously perpetuating the big lie of a stolen election. They were actively stirring the pot for a cataclysmic attack on the seat of American democracy. The U.S. Capitol would be breached that day. Windows smashed, the building defecated, and menacing messages left behind. Congressional staffers hiding in rooms. Capitol Police officers attacked, knocked out, killed, wounded, trying to fend off these insurrectionists. After the January 6th insurrection, there was, of course, the impeachment of President Trump, but also an acquittal in the Senate. But beyond that, there was also an eagerness to get to the bottom of what had happened and also how something like that could transpire in the United States of America. One of the things that was proposed was a 9-11-style bipartisan commission to investigate the attack on the Capitol. Initially, that was favored by both Democrats and Republicans, but after outside pressure from the former president, many Republicans relented, with just only a few supporting the commission, causing it to essentially fail. And instead of a bipartisan commission, what we got as a country was a bipartisan select committee like in the Watergate scandal. Their first nationally televised hearing was last July, and Capitol Police testified about that day for them. Well, this past Thursday, however, 20 million people across the nation tuned in for the committee's first major hearing. It certainly did grip the nation. I was literally glued to my TV for the entire two hours. We got new testimony, new evidence, and damning revelations about what was going on at the top echelons of the federal government in the last days of the Trump administration and also in the weeks after the election and the lead up to the insurrection. And when I say I was glued to my TV, it was definitely a blockbuster hearing 
from the start, essentially. This was the front page of the New York Times the next day in all caps, quote, Trump-led attempted coup, panel says, end quote. The article on the side is headline, quote, he is accused of spurring January 6th mob and endorsing Pence's hanging. Okay, wait, what? So even if you didn't watch it, that alone is going to be intriguing to read, head-turning. And after you read that, you're probably going to want to watch the highlights or that hearing in its entirety. Well, thank you for joining us today. As I mentioned at the top of the show, we're going to run down through what happened, explain it, show you the highlights, plus a special guest coming up to talk about this and more. So let's start from square one. The hearing began with opening statements from the Democratic chair, Benny Thompson, then Republican ranking member, Liz Cheney. Congresswoman Cheney set this almost up in a prosecutorial way, explaining what would happen in hearing and making the case against the former president for his role in the insurrection. Then came the first mic drop. Tonight, I say this to my Republican colleagues who are defending the indefensible. There will come a day when Donald Trump is gone, but your dishonor will remain. Finally, I ask all of our fellow Americans, as you watch our hearings over the coming weeks, please remember what's at stake. Remember the men and women who have fought and died so that we can live under the rule of law, not the rule of men. Quote, there will come a day when Donald Trump is gone, but your dishonor will remain. Once again, that is ranking member Republican Congresswoman Liz Cheney of Wyoming there. Just whoa. Then from there, she goes on to talk about the essence of our democracy rather than embracing authoritarianism, essentially saying, hey, we live in a country of the rule of law, not the rule of men. And shortly after that remarkable opening statement, this 33-minute opening statement by Congresswoman Cheney, a pre-recorded deposition of Bill Barr was shown. Bill Barr is the former Attorney General of the United States, and in this deposition, he's essentially talking about what he thought of the president's mendacious um, statements about a stolen election. I've been, th- I've had, th- I had three discussions with the president that I can recall. One was on November 23rd. One was on December 1st and one was on December 14th. And I've been through sort of the give and take of those discussions. And in that context, I made it clear I did not agree with the idea of saying the election was stolen and putting out this stuff, which I told the president was bullshit. And, uh, you know, I didn't want to be a part of it. And that's one of the reasons that went into me deciding to leave when I did. I, I observed... Uh, I think it was on December 1st that you know how can we you can't live in a world where where the incumbent administration stays in power based on its view unsupported by specific evidence that the election that there was fraud in the election quote I told the president it was bull rhymes with it you can't live in a world where the incumbent administration stays in power based on its view unsupported by specific evidence that there was fraud in the election end quote That's the former Attorney General of the United States, Bill Barr, calling these unsubstantiated allegations of fraud in the election BS. This is the same AG that went great lengths to protect the president's enemies and also sabotage his friends, right? I mean, he has a very controversial track record as the former Attorney General, but even Bill Barr comes to his senses on this and sort of has like a hold up, wait a minute moment, right? I mean, (laughs) this isn't something that's supposed to happen especially in a democracy. And then after Barr's deposition, the committee shows Ivanka Trump, the former president's daughter, and here's what she says. How did that affect your perspective about the election when Attorney General Barr made that statement? 
it affected my perspective. Um, I respect Attorney General Barr. Um, so I accepted what he said was saying. So that's Ivanka Trump, the daughter of former President Donald Trump, saying that even she accepted what Barr had said, that these claims of a stolen election were actually false, that Trump had lost the election indeed, and Joe Biden was the actual successor of this. But beyond that, we also received more damning testimony from two witnesses that the committee called. The first one I'm going to play for you here is Capitol Police Officer Caroline Edwards, who testified to the January 6th committee about her horrific experience that day in graphic detail. When I fell behind that line and I saw, I can just remember my, my breath catching in my throat because I, what I saw was just a, a war scene. It, it was something like I had seen out of the movies. I, I, I couldn't believe my eyes. There were officers on the ground, um, you know, they were bleeding, they were throwing up, they were, you know, they had I mean, I saw friends with blood all over their faces. I was slipping in people's blood. Um, you know, I, I was catching people as they fell. I, you know, I was, it was carnage. It was chaos. I, I, can't, I can't even describe what I saw. I, never in my wildest dreams did I think that as a police officer, as a law enforcement officer, I would find myself in the middle of a battle. You know, I, I'm, I'm trained to detain, you know, a couple of subjects and, and handle, you know, handle a crowd, but I, I'm, I'm not combat trained. And that day, it was just hours of hand-to-hand -hand combat, hours of dealing with things that were way beyond any any a law enforcement officer has ever trained for. Um, and I just remember it. I just remember that moment of stepping behind the line and just seeing the absolute war zone that the West Front had become. Once again, that was Capitol Police Officer Caroline Edwards testifying before the January 6th committee um, recounting a traumatic experience being knocked on the ground and getting back up, rejoining the fight after being rendered unconscious. She's also rightfully mentions that she's just an officer, only to arrest people, not trained for combat. Uh, saying here, quote, I was slipping in people's blood. It was like something I'd seen out of the movies. It was carnage. It was chaos. It was a war zone. End quote. One of the major things in relation to the insurrection that the right likes to claim or say is that, oh, January 6th was just a protest or a rally that got out of hand and turned into like a riot or something. But that assertion was proven spurious and just completely blown out of the water by the January 6th committee as they laid out exactly what actually happened. Their second star witness, filmmaker Nick Quested, actually confirmed that live. You better get your ass to D.C., folks, this Saturday. Yeah, if you don't, there's, there'll be no more republic. But we're not going to let that happen. It's not even an if. 
it's it's either President Trump is encouraged and, and bolstered, strengthened to do what he must do, or we wind up in a, in a bloody fight. We all know that. The fight's coming. The Oath Keepers began planning to block the peaceful transfer of power shortly after the November 3rd election. And according to the Department of Justice, Stuart Rhodes, the Oath Keepers leader, said to his followers that we were not going to get through this without the Civil War. In response to the December 19th, 2020 tweet by President Trump, the Oath Keepers focused on January 6th in Washington, D.C. In response to the tweet, one member, the president of the Florida chapter, put on social media, the president called us to the Capitol. He wants us to make it wild. The goal was for the Oath Keepers to be called to duty so that they could keep the president in power, although President Trump had just lost the election. The committee learned that the Oath Keepers set up quick reaction forces outside of the city in Virginia where they stored arms. The goal of these quick reaction forces was to be on standby just in case President Trump invoked the Insurrection Act. Did the Oath Keepers ever provide weapons to members? I'm going to decline to answer that. I put them on grounds for, for uh, due process grounds. In footage obtained by the committee, we learned that on the night of January 5th, Enrique Tarrio and Stuart Rhodes met in a parking garage in Washington, D.C. There's mutual respect there. I think we're, we're fighting the same fight, and I think that's what's important. The committee learned that the Oath Keepers went into the Capitol through the east doors in two stack formations. The DOJ alleges that one of the stacks went into the Capitol looking for Speaker Pelosi, although they never found her. I documented the crowd turned from protesters to rioters to insurrectionists. I was surprised at the size of the group, the anger and the profanity. For anyone who didn't understand how violent that event was, I saw it, I documented it, and I experienced it. So how many Proud Boys would you estimate were marching together to the Capitol? Um, a couple of hundred. As we were walking past the peace circle, I framed the Proud Boys to the right of my shot with the Capitol behind, and we see one sole police officer um, at the barriers, which subsequently breached. So this was planned. It was a premeditated attack on the seat of U.S. democracy. And we know that because, and also thanks to this filmmaker's footage here, showing the leader of the Oath Keepers, who was just charged with sedition recently, by the way, and also the Proud Boys leader meeting in this garage, some surreptitious meeting in D.C. on the night of January 5th, just a day before the insurrection took place. We also know that as President Trump was speaking, and even before that, the Proud Keepers, excuse me, the Proud Boys, and also the Oath Keepers, these members of these extremist groups were making their way down to the Capitol before other before the essentially the protesters there, the rally of Trump supporters in front of the White House started making their way down to the Capitol. So this was already pre-planned. And beyond that, we also learned that Trump was told in November by the numbers guy, by his data guy, that he lost the election, but he still continued pushing the big lie. And also Jared Kushner, Trump's son-in-law, also testified. In his deposition, he mentioned that he took the repeated threats to resign by Trump's White House counsel, Pat Cipollone, as just whining as nothing ever happened. In addition to that, the January 6th committee revealed that they have documentation of Republican lawmakers who sought pardons from the president in those final days. Republican Congressman Scott Perry of Pennsylvania is among those who sought a presidential pardon. He called it a, quote, soulless lie, but it'll be revealed sooner or later as this investigation continues to bear out. 
Now, seeking a pardon in a practical terms is essentially means an admission of guilt and also shielding yourself against any potential criminal charges. So why are you seeking a pardon if you don't have anything to hide? What did you do? What aren't you saying? I mean, these are live questions here. We also learned um, on Thursday night that Trump endorsed the hanging of his vice president saying, quote, Mike Pence deserves it. End quote. This also comes as General Mark Milley, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, made some previously unknown news. There were th- uh, two or three calls with Vice President Pence. He was very animated and he issued very explicit, uh, very direct, unambiguous orders. There was no question about that. And, and, he was, and, and, and I can get you the exact quotes, I guess, from some of our records somewhere, but... He was very animated, very direct, very firm. By contrast, here is General Milley's description of his conversation with President Trump's chief of staff, Mark Meadows, on January 6th. He said, um, we, have, we have to kill the narrative that the vice president is making all the decisions. So the vice president is obviously enraged here, and he's vociferously urging the military to get down there, and the president is actively encouraging this violent insurrection by not stopping it, therefore creating this narrative that Pence, the vice president, was making all the executive decisions on this as the president was too busy to do anything because he was gleefully watching this unfold. The January 6th committee recently interviewed the head of Trump's Secret Service detail to talk about this after the Washington Post just revealed that there was indeed an active plan to actually have the president walk with his supporters to the Capitol, not necessarily walk, but actually go down to the Capitol with his supporters, as he mentioned in his speech there just before the insurrection began. The president, um, of course, here is culpable here. What the January 6th committee basically said was that this was definitely an attempted coup. This was a domestic terrorist terrorist attack here in the United States of America. January 6th definitely was an insurrection. Despite what you might have been hearing of, oh, claims of an embellishing a narrative of, yeah, this wasn't necessarily a, a violent thing. This was very, very peaceful. The crowd loved the officers. They were very, very kind to them. They gave them even kisses, right? Kisses. It was definitely not that. It was definitely an attack on the seat of American democracy to keep oneself in power. Using to using such extreme sources. I mean, the president of the United States here, literally since the beginning, November of 2020, the president loses the election. That begins this whole cascade of lies of, oh yeah, the election was stolen. The president then starts doing recounts and everything and pursues litigation. I mean, the president has the right to do that. But then again, it turns out that that was not true. It continuously is proven in court that, yes, sir, you did not win this election. But his supporters continue to advance that. The president continues to rile them up. And that ultimately led to the January 6th insurrection. And I will just make one last point here before the interview, and that is Watergate. When you consider the history and the gravitas of this moment, it really does help to go back in time and surmise where we've been as a nation. On June 17th, 1972, five men were caught breaking into the Democratic National Committee headquarters. It was called Watergate at the time. 
And the whole nation was not really big into this at the time, certainly not thinking it would lead to the demise of President Nixon, but it was a slow, deliberative process. And what ultimately led to Richard Nixon's downfall as president was the Watergate hearings. It was that riveting and it was that revelatory to have not only essentially Nixon's campaign staff members, but also Nixon's lawyer, also to have the White House counsel, also to have other key members of the Nixon administration testify to the committee, the, even the attorney general, to testify to the committee that, yeah, indeed, this did happen. There was also a major cover-up. There was a cancer growing on the presidency. Remember that clip from this famous senator here in speaking, that famous Watergate clip, what did the president know and when did he know it? With that historical context in mind, and our democracy is still so very fragile, will we be swayed as a nation, as we were back in 1973 and in 1974, during the Watergate hearings? Or are we already so deeply polarized and partisan, and in our own political atmosphere as a nation that nothing will change? There is literally a violent insurrection against our country. Are we just going to let that slide by? What message does that send to the future of American democracy? What message does that send to our allies that it was that easy for our citizens domestically to breach the United States Capitol? What are we going to do about that? Political science professor Brian Henry joins me next. Stay with us. Whether you put down your phone to be there for your daughter... Or pick up your phone to call a helpline for your roommate. When it comes to mental health, now more than ever, every action counts. Joining me now for the interview is Brian Henry, a political science professor at Lone Star College. Uh, professor Henry, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. What did you think of the January 6th committee's? first nationally televised hearing uh, just this week? Um, I thought that it was well-organized, well-executed. Um, I think going into it, people were maybe skeptical that there wouldn't be that much that we would learn from the committee, that maybe we knew uh, most of what they were going to talk about. But just, just the simple fact of having the video testimony from all of these depositions, uh, it really makes for compelling television. And the argument they seem to be setting up, you know, long-term, uh, I think they're really, they've done their homework. Uh, I think they believe they have a compelling case to make to the public and legally speaking. And so I think it's kind of anyone's guess uh, how consequential these hearings may become, either electorally or just the public's understanding of those events or legally for participants. Um, I think it's really kind of wide open. Hmm. 20 million people tuned in across the country. There were lots of revelatory testimony, including from uh, Trump's daughter, Ivanka, Bill Barr, and also others. Um, do you think that could possibly help shift the narrative of somehow a stolen election by some of the hardcore Republicans who still believe that? It depends on which Republicans we're talking about. 
Um, if we're talking about a hardcore Republican voter, um, I'm not sure their minds will really be changed. I think lots of moderate Republican voters or even like independents who maybe they haven't thought that much about the election, but they've just heard Trump's lies so many times. They think that there might be something to the lies. I think those people, um, when they see things like Attorney General Bill Barr um, state on the record that he told the president to his face that all of these voter fraud claims were nonsense, um, even in his words, you know, BS, mm -hmm. I think that can kind of cause some people to kind of reconsider um, whether they, they really believe anything the president has to say on the issue. For his true loyalists, I'm not sure they're going to be reached. Um, I think if the hearings cause any shift in public perception, it could also cause a shift in what elected officials are saying. So I think there are some Republicans in Congress who have maybe, you know, never really said definitively whether the election was stolen or not, or have kind of like gone along with Trump's lies because they think that's what the voters want to hear. If they see that the voters are no longer buying it, maybe it becomes more of a risk for them to continue perpetuating that narrative. And so their, their public statements, their public positions also change. That's what we can hope at least. Another one of the bombshells revealed was uh, Trump's remarks about the hanging of his vice president, Mike Pence, um, saying that, quote, maybe he deserves it as he was gleefully watching this unfold in the White House dining room. Um, what do you make of that assertion? And do you think that perhaps, um, I mean, there's already sort of been a public rift between Trump and Pence. Um, do you think as we continue to learn more that, um, I guess the former president will receive much more criticism for this or are public minds not really gonna change? Well, we haven't heard all of the details on that particular allegation, right? They kind of like tease that it's going to be a topic in one of the upcoming hearings, I believe. Mm -hmm. And obviously for, for television purposes, that's going to be one of the more riveting storylines. I'm not sure that it's that relevant, legally speaking, as far as whether Trump can be prosecuted for inciting the riot or, or things of that nature. And so that might as serious as that is, were that to be true, and I have, I have no reason to believe it's not true, um, I'm not sure that it's really that consequential to the, to the overall um, just problematic nature of what happened that day. I think whether Donald Trump is okay with Mike Pence being harmed is almost secondary to the fact that Trump helped incite uh, a, a coup to stay in power, right? Mm -hmm. We got reports um, from this hearing that as the president was speaking um, around like 10 a.m. is one of the filmmakers that testified that said practically um, Proud Boys and some of the other members of like the Oath Keepers, they had already started essentially amassing um, on the Capitol. Um, this was like before the president even started speaking, I believe. So this is around like 10 in the morning. Um, so this sort of sets up a conspiracy that there, this was definitely a premeditated attack on the Capitol. Um, 
what I guess basically what Republicans and what the president is saying here is basically that this was a rally. It was a peaceful rally that got out of hand here. Um, what we learned on Thursday from the January 6th committee was that just blew that out of the water. Um, what did you make of that? Yeah, so it's, you know, you said you used the word conspiracy, right? And the, the point of the hearing, I guess, would be that it's not a conspiracy that this was a premeditated attack. The, the hearings are going to set out that this was, in fact, a very premeditated, organized assault on American democracy. And they're gonna, there's going to be a number of details that come out, I think, proving that that argument and the Proud Boys going to the Capitol that early in the day is just one of those first pieces of evidence that they're presenting. One of the things that uh, the ranking member on the committee said, Congresswoman Liz Cheney, she said um, in her in one of in her opening statement, she said, "quote There will come a day when Donald Trump is gone, but your dishonor will remain." And also, we had a Democratic chair of the committee, Benny Thompson, basically saying that our democracy still remains in danger. This year in November, we have the upcoming 2022 midterm elections. Do you think democracy and the fact that there was just a violent insurrection, a domestic terrorist attack against our country, um, is that going to be a major motivating force in terms of voters when they go to vote in the polls? I hope so. I think that's, that's one of the most immediate outcomes that we can hope for from these hearings that it reminds people about the stakes of, of the next election and the election after that, that this wasn't, this wasn't a random one-off event. Uh, it was a premeditated attack and those who orchestrated it don't really show any remorse. Uh, they don't indicate that they're not going to attempt something similar again. And so I think it's really important for the public to be reminded uh, of, of those dangers. And I think we all owe Liz Cheney gratitude, regardless of our politics, because when you have public servants like her standing up for our constitutional republic in the way that she is, I mean, it's, it's really all you can ask for of an elected official. It's, it's, you know, chicken soup for the political soul, because there should be things that we care about above whatever is in the short term interest of our political party. And it's been, you know, very depressing and distressing watching the Republican Party allow Donald Trump uh, to do as much damage as he's done, even after he's left, left office, they're still beholden to him. And she's just not having it, right? She's going to call out the lies. She's going to defend checks and balances, the rule of law. And, you know, I think history is obviously going to uh, show her in a far more positive light uh, than people like minority leader Kevin McCarthy or, you know, the congressmen who were involved, right, in the planning of this event. We're going to hear more. We're going to hear more about congressmen, sitting officials uh, who were involved in this. And so I think that has the potential to come back to your question of kind of focusing voters attentions on the upcoming election. What are people's positions on this? You might 
you might see a situation now where uh, candidates are being asked more often, was January 6th an insurrection? Are you willing to condemn what happened that day? And I think those questions are important. And I think they do have the potential to impact some races. One last question here in terms of the fragility of American democracy and um, still having lots of concern about that. Um, the state of the Republican Party right now is mostly continuously built on the big lie. There was recently a candidate in Georgia, um, I believe, who basically said that that election was stolen. Um, also recently, a candidate for governor in Michigan recently arrested um, after reports of um, him being at the Capitol on January 6th. Are we ever going to get back to the point where we have a normal two political party system in our democracy, or are we going to continue to sort of like wither away? Are we going to ever return to that sense of political normalcy? I think it remains to be seen, right? I think in the near term, things are going to get worse before they get better. Um, the Republican Party has been captured by a, you know, white, Christian, nationalist, authoritarian fever. And we, we all hoped that if Trump lost his reelection bid, that that fever might subside. Um, but the fever has only gotten worse. Mm -hmm. And so it might take some time uh, for the party to kind of get that out of its system. If the Republicans retake the House or the Senate, or if Trump is somehow reelected in 24, or one of his mini-me's like Ron DeSantis, you know, if, if this approach to politics, if they believe that it's beneficial, that it's a winning strategy, then no, we're not gonna return to normalcy. Things are just gonna become more extreme, more polarized, more violent, um, and the stakes are really, really high. Um, and so I think these hearings are very important. They're important not only for the upcoming election or for legally prosecuting those who are guilty, uh, but also just for making sure that we remember history accurately. It's important that we understand what happened. You're, you're already seeing people kind of rewrite the narrative of what happened that day. Mm -hmm. um, and so if nothing else, um, like the impeachment hearings, right? Trump was acquitted, but they laid out the facts of what yeah. happened. That's the truth, right? It doesn't matter whether the Senate votes to acquit him or not. The House laid out the facts. And this committee is going to do the same thing. They're going to tell the truth to the entire world about what happened that day. And that in and of itself is important to do, regardless of the consequences or the ramifications of it. Once again, my guest is Brian Henry, a political science professor um, at Lone Star College. Uh, professor Henry, thank you so much for coming on the show again. I really appreciate it. Thank you. All right, we'll be right back. Introducing Tide Power Pods. With Cat and Nat. I love how much I can stuff into these machines. But that is such a large load. Don't the stains sneak through? Please. New Tide Power Pods can clean that whole situation. You just toss it in before the close. It's like two regular Tide Pods and then some power and then even more power. With 50% more cleaning power, even your large load got clean. How many kids do you have? Girl, I lost track. There's a lot of kids. And then there's a husband and there's me. That's a lot of clothes. 
Welcome back. So as a nation and as a world, we've already been traumatized from the coronavirus pandemic. Um, as cases are starting to fall, we are now being introduced to the monkeypox. Is this something that we should be concerned about and what exactly is it? And also, what else should we know about this? This is reporting from NBC News. Tonight, new concerns over the monkeypox outbreak. CDC officials have traced two versions of monkeypox now circulating in the U.S. While they're similar to each other, their genetic analysis shows that they're not linked to each other. New data from the CDC shows New York with seven cases, California with six, and Florida with four. Two of the cases in the U.S. were found to be genetically similar to that of a Texas man who traveled to Africa last year. The other known cases resemble the genetic signature of the outbreak of cases found in Europe. They're both happening simultaneously, which I think reflects the fact that we've let monkeypox be out of control in Africa for an extended period of time. Doctors explain that these are not variants in the way we think of mutating COVID-19 variants. Instead, these two monkeypox varieties are simply different members of the same family, each marked by symptoms including fever, headache, muscle aches, and exhaustion, along with the development of a distinct rash, often beginning with the face and then spreading to other parts of the body. It can spread when a person comes in contact with an infected animal or human. That virus likely began to spread through person to person, close contact, possibly intimate or sexual contact. Those who study viruses say the window is closing on possible intervention. A Yale epidemiologist suggesting LGBTQ organizations are the secret weapon here due to a current prevailing theory that at least some of the current spread started with attendees of LGBTQ plus events in Europe. The more people that get infected, the harder it becomes logistically to be able to get to all those contacts and vaccinate them in order to stop forward transmission. Experts say focusing on vaccinations in outbreak hotspots like Africa is the answer. So it really argues for really putting resources, not just at containing this in Europe, in the United States and in Canada, but also to be putting efforts into vaccinating people in endemic countries so that we don't have this reservoir to spill into other countries. The U.S. currently has more than 36,000 doses of the vaccine Genios immediately available and has asked the manufacturer Bavarian Nordic to send 36,000 more. In the meantime, the CDC recommends using good hand hygiene, especially after contact with infected animals or humans. People should not be surprised to see the numbers increase for some time, but it's still not something that poses a general risk to the public. And Stephen Romo joins us now from the studio. Stephen, a lot of people are watching this and they are wondering, what are the chances of this becoming as widespread as COVID-19? Uh, very concerning, of course, whenever you hear something about a virus coming right after we've dealt with so many COVID cases. Uh, the short answer is there's really no reason to have that type of COVID concern that we would with monkeypox virus. For one thing, there is already a vaccine available. There's no development lag right now. There's something that called, that's called ring vaccination. When there is someone who has a confirmed case, authorities will vaccinate the people immediately around that person to try to isolate them and protect the people around them to prevent the spread. So right now we just have more tools in the toolkit than we did with COVID. And also COVID is airborne and monkeypox is most often transmitted through touch. So a lot of differences right now, a reason to pay attention to it right now, but no reason for the concern that we have with COVID. Once again, that is reporting there from NBC News saying basically that we're not going to have a monkeypox pandemic, but this is definitely something to keep an eye on.
Um, and it's also just a huge relief that we're not going into another pandemic so quickly. I mean, just after the cataclysmic result of COVID-19 with millions dying worldwide, including here in the United States, that death toll just becoming absolutely astronomical, surpassing the 1918 Spanish flu that also transpired here. Back in 1918, 675,000 Americans died. We're going to have special reporting on COVID-19 here in the United States and also around the world later um, as this official comeback is in place. Um, we have special announcements coming up. Stay with us. This is how we do it. Turns out Montel Jordan knows how to do almost everything. And it turns out that Dribble is a quality insurance company that's been saving people money for nearly 60 years. For a great low rate and nearly 60 years of quality coverage, go with the General. So this is the official comeback to the Jeremiah Patterson show. There is a lot happening in the news right now, including the Russia-Ukraine war still transpiring. Also, we are watching gas prices continue to rise as well as other prices for essential daily life things. We are also watching abortion rights hanging in essentially the winds right now. And also gun violence. There was just major reporting on gun violence just today. The January 6th committee will hold their next hearing tomorrow at 10 a.m. So go ahead and get your calendar set, get everything ready if you plan to watch that. If not, we will have special coverage for you here on the Jeremiah Patterson Show beginning next week, of course, as beginning this, this week as we get into that as well. Also, new reports. We have a special report planned for you on domestic terrorism coming up very, very soon with a special guest here on the Jeremiah Patterson Show. So there was a lot as we make this official comeback. I appreciate all of you sticking around. I appreciate you coming back to listen to the show. Um, it always is my honor to get on the microphone and to record this, to write and to produce these episodes. I thank Brendan, my best friend, for, of course, the amount of inspiration. Um, of course, also my girlfriend for motivating me here, Nankiria, for motivating me to essentially get this done as I was sort of procrastinating for a little bit. It takes a while to put these shows together, to, to put this show together, to do the interviews, to do all the collaborations and edit and actually publish it. So I thank you all so very much for listening to this episode of the Jeremiah Patterson Show and all of the support. It is very, very much appreciated. New episodes are coming soon. Don't leave. Encourage your friends and family to check out this show as well. There was a lot in store as we are running up to the fourth anniversary, the four-year anniversary, the four years of TJPS Productions. That's awesome. And it's not just the Jeremiah Patterson Show. I mean, I've also branched off and created other little podcasts that's part of TJPS Productions. We also have Disgrace, a podcast about Watergate and the downfall of Richard Nixon. We also have U.S. Presidents um, and other shows as well, getting back on those too. So thank you again for listening. Have a great day. Remember to stay positive and inspired and take care. I'll see you later.